Good morning. Okay, last week we looked at one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible, Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Today we get to look at one of the most fascinating chapters in all the Bible. It is the only chapter written in the Bible that's written by a pagan king. And it's fascinating what he goes through. First of all, he starts verse number 1. He's talking to his entire empire. Remember, this is King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the world superpower. They ruled the known world. And Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful person on the face of the earth. Powerful guy. Brilliant guy. He was a builder. He built Babylon and he reigned through ba- long reign through Babylon during its glory days. And verse number one lets us know this. He is sending out a royal edict. This is a royal proclamation to his entire empire, which he considers fills the entire world. He wants to let the whole world know something. This incredible thing happened to him. He's making a public confession of his faith in the God of the Bible. This is what he's doing in Daniel chapter 4. It is absolutely incredible that this guy in this position that he's in does this. We do something today that we call making a public confession of our faith. We call it baptism. Baptism. Derek is leading a baptism class right now. We've got a bunch of people in there because we're having a baptism on Thursday, December the 8th. If you're interested in the class and learning about them, learn about it, you can email Derek. But it's a public, it's the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar is doing. A public confession, proclamation of his faith is the same thing that baptism is. We encourage you, if you have never done it before, Jesus tells us that we should all do that. So I encourage you to contact Derek. You can email him right off the website. You can call the church office. You can get involved with that. I want to recap real quickly what Stacy has already set up for us in the first eight verses. Is this. Nebuchadnezzar, filled with pride, brilliant guy. He's been learning about God. He learned a little bit about God in in Daniel 1. He learned more about God in Daniel 2, more about God in Daniel 3. He's getting bits and pieces, and it's beginning to flow in, right? But he's got so much pride. He's polytheistic. He believes in all kinds of gods. You know, he's willing to accept all these gods, and God, you know, God of Daniel, just another god, right? So he's collecting all this, and so he has this dream. He has a dream of a tree, a massive tree that's in the center of the earth, and it grows huge, and everybody is protected and provided for by this tree. But then somebody comes along, and they say, cut the tree down, which he knows that that's a problem. He doesn't know what it means, but he's figured out if somebody's cutting down this big tree that's providing and protecting for everybody on the planet, this could not be a good thing. It's cut down, and it's shackled in bronze and iron. For seven times, which we think means seven years. For seven years, it's shackled in his bronze, and then it's restored. So, he says, you know, who can help me with this dream? He calls all the wise men. They can't do anything for him. So, finally, Daniel arrives, and he says, oh, the spirit of the gods. That's the best way he can do it. The spirit of the gods is in Daniel. And Daniel says, king, you are that tree. You are going to be cut down. Then check this out. He says, you're going to be given the mind of an animal. You're going to be a cow. You're going to be a cow for seven years in the royal palace. They're going to get a little patch of grass outside in the lawn, and you're going to be eating that grass for seven years and drinking water, and your hair is going to grow really long like the feathers of an eagle, and your fingernails are going to become like the, the nails of a bird. That's going to happen to you. And then when it's all over, if you do the right thing, you'll know who God is God. Well, through this process that Nebuchadnezzar goes through. He has a life-altering experience. 
he has a personal encounter with God that forever changes his life. And that's why Daniel chapter 4 is written. He sends out a royal edict to let the entire world know that God is God and Nebuchadnezzar is not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, a fascinating chapter we're going to look at today. Lord, what, you know, what can we learn from this? We see that Nebuchadnezzar had a life-changing experience. Can we have that? Is it possible, every single one of us in this gym today, that God, you have designed us to be here, that it's no coincidence we're here today, that you want every single one of us to also have a personal encounter with you in our own way, however you design it? God, is that why we're here today? Father, I pray that your will would be done in this place. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, you see here, I gave you a couple verses. Daniel chapter 2. After the whole situation with the dream in Daniel chapter 2, where nobody could interpret the dream that he had, finally Daniel comes in to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he interprets the dream. And then what you find is Nebuchadnezzar says it to him, Daniel 2, 47, he says, surely your God, your God, Daniel, not my God, your God, Daniel, man, he's, he's incredible. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, furnace, get thrown in, they're saved from the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar says, oh my goodness. He says this in Daniel 3, 28. He says, praise be the God of who? Shadrach, not my God, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego's God. Look what he says in Daniel 4. Stacy just read it. Last verse that she read. He's had this dream, this dream of the tree. And so in comes, finally Daniel comes in. Finally Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of who? My God. Is that the God of the Bible? No, that's the God Bel who he worshipped. He worshipped many gods, but that was his main god, God Bel. It's not my god, it's Daniel's god. We find after Nebuchadnezzar has a life-altering experience with the God of heaven is he's never the same, and he does not ever say that again. He doesn't talk about Daniel's god or Shadrach and Meshach's god. Now he talks about God as being his god. He has been collecting bits and pieces of information about God. Now that's good. That's great. We need to gain information. You know, all of us here, we, cannot, we, we understand that, right? Probably every single one of us in this room has a little bit of knowledge, at least, about Christmas. We understand that there was a person named Joseph and Mary, and Mary gave birth to this baby boy and called him Jesus in Bethlehem. Most of us grasp, maybe we don't know all the theology behind that, maybe we don't know all the details behind that, but we know something, right? And we have maybe some little piece of information about Easter. You know, what's that all about? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have, or we know the stories of the Bible, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Day and Goliath. We have pieces of information. Here's the thing. Nebuchadnezzar, King Neb, had pieces of information about God, but he did not have a life-altering experience. So when you take pieces of information, when you learn about God and God's Word, and you couple that together with a life-altering experience, like having a personal encounter with God, which we're going to see he's going to have, you put two, two together, your life is never the same again. And this is what happens to him. Now, we have been designed by God, designed by God, to have a personal encounter with God. The original design, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we're told this, that in the cool of the day, Almighty God would come and walk through the garden. He would walk and talk with Adam and Eve. That's what we were designed to have. We were designed to have that kind of personal encounter. Every day it happened. 
personal encounter with God on a daily basis. It's an awesome thing. We're designed for that. We long for that. Every single one of us long for that. But that's been broken off. It's been broken off because of sin. When, you know, Adam and Eve and the tree, boom, that all broke off because of sin. But we still desire to get back there. Has anybody ever been to an awesome place for vacation? Ever been to this just incredible place? A lot of people love the Outer Banks, right? What do you all love? What's a shout out something? Greece? Grandma. Grandma's. All right. I, that's the, wasn't the first thing on my mind, but uh, it's good. It's okay. That's all right. But here's the thing. You, when you go to some, you long to go back there. There's like a homing device that's inside of you now. You have the, you've had that experience. You've had the knowledge. You've had experience. You long to go back there. God has put that homing device in every single one of us. We long to go back to that place in the garden and that personal encounter with God. Do you ever get tired of hearing about God? Ever get tired of just hearing information or you hear somebody else who's, man, I had this experience with God and it was powerful. I encountered God and it changed my life. And you say, man, that's great and it's exciting. But then you say, I'm tired of hearing about that from somebody else. I'm tired of hearing about somebody else's encounter with God. I want to experience that myself. I'm tired of just information about God. I think I'm finally ready. I would actually like to meet God. I would like to have a, per, you know, and this doesn't have to be a bush that's on fire or something like that or what the situation never, I mean, it can happen in big ways. It can happen in small ways. It can happen at your kitchen table while you're sitting by, but for whatever reason, you feel like God just comes down and my goodness, his presence is so real and you desire that because all of us desire that. Uh, Josh, who was up here just a few moments ago, when, when, when I'm around him for any extended period of time, it seems like the subject always turns to food. Always to food. So somewhere along the conversation, we start talking about food. And about three or four years ago, Josh and I were having a conversation about steaks. And I asked him, I said, well, well, tell me, what's the best steak that you've ever had? He said, without a doubt, the Carlisle Cafe down there in Shirlington. What is it? The Grand Carlisle Cafe? Whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about. It's down in Shirlington, right? And he just goes on and on. His eyes kind of light up, you know. And you can tell he's getting excited. And he's telling me about this steak, and it's so incredible. And so for four years now, he's been giving me information about this phenomenal steak. And finally one day, we're down on a reconnaissance mission in Alexandria for some mission stuff, and I couldn't take any more. I couldn't take any more just having information about the steak. I had to personally experience it myself. So spontaneously, we pulled over, it was lunchtime, and we went in and we had a steak. Now, I do nothing spontaneously. The only way I do spontaneous things is if I plan to do spontaneous things. <laughs> Unplanned spontaneity on my part went in and we had the steak. For four years, my wife was telling me, John, we really need to have a dog. You need to have a dog. We have kids. You'll never, you can never understand the joy that it's going to bring the kids or the joy that it's going to bring you to see the dog playing with the kids. And it's going to bring you so much happiness. And she kept telling me. She kept filling my mind with this information. And finally, two years ago, I broke down and we got the dog. Hasn't been anything like she told me it was going to be. <laughs> but, but, you know, you hear about something long enough and you say, you know what? I would like to experience that. I'm tired of just hearing about this. I want to experience it for myself. And Nebuchadnezzar has a personal encounter with Almighty God. Now, before I want to go through a roadmap that we find here in Daniel chapter 4 that can lead us all into a personal encounter with God, I want to give some background, historical background, because we read these stories about Daniel. We read this story about this tree, Nebuchadnezzar being the tree, and him kind of going insane for seven years and acting like a cow at the royal palace. You know what I'm saying? 
right, eating grass and all this kind of stuff. We say, whoa, man, are you serious? And the fiery furnace and, you know, Daniel in the lion's den is coming up. Are you serious? So I want to give some historical background, if I can, for just a moment. We find here that Nebuchadnezzar says that he built Babylon. Daniel chapter 4, he says that. And he says that Babylon is an amazing city. Is that true? Archaeologists have discovered thousands of bricks from the old Babylon 2,500 years ago. You know whose name is stamped on those bricks? Anybody want to venture a guess? Nebuchadnezzar. He built Babylon. Was it an amazing city? We're told that it was the most amazing city of its time. It was an incredible city. When the historian Herodotus, when he shows up 100 years after, it, after its glory years, he said he was completely overwhelmed by how incredible it was. The most incredible city. Nebuchadnezzar was a phenomenal builder. When Alexander the Great rolls into town 200 years after its glory days, he was so overwhelmed by it, he said, that's it. This will be my headquarters. And Alexander the Great ends up dying in Babylon. The Greeks said the hanging gardens, the hanging gardens which Nebuchadnezzar built for one of his wives because she was from the mountains and he figures out how to make that thing air conditioned, uh, elevated air conditioned hanging gardens. 2,500 years ago, the Greeks said this is one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal city. Now, how about this whole cow situation? What's up with that? I mean, is that just kind of, is that a story? Is that just put in for dramatic effect? Did this actually happen? says here that Nebuchadnezzar goes insane, acts like a cow for seven years, his hair grows really long like the feathers of an eagle, and his fingernails like the claws of a bird. Is there any historical proof this actually happens? The Babylonian historian Barosus says, and nobody writes anything bad about the king. Here's the rule back then. You just got to put this in your head. Here's the deal. If you convey, convey information about the king, you give them information that's negative, or you talk negative about the king, anything you do. You could be somebody coming in, a courier coming in saying, hey, yeah, we, we lost some troops at X, Y, and Z. Okay, thank you very much for sharing that. Now kill him. That's what they did. Anybody who bore, and it didn't matter how true it was, anybody who's anything negative to the king, king doesn't like to hear negative stuff, you just get killed. So you kind of put low man on the totem pole that comes in and gives the information, right? So this guy, Barosus, a Babylonian historian, says towards the end of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he's a secular historian, he says King Nebuchadnezzar went through a serious bout of illness. So we know this is true. What Daniel was saying here, and Daniel chapter 4, we know it from secular history, that is... It's mentioned. It's corroborated. Now let's talk about the cow thing. All right? You can go and Google today. Go home, Google. Uh, it's best that you don't do it as you're sitting in the gym. I don't think the service is very good in here anyway, the phone service. But you could do that if you wanted to. I'd rather you not. But you could Google boanthropy. Boanthropy is a rare mental disorder. Boanthropy. And what happens is the person who is suffering from this mental disorder for a period of time, they think that they are an animal. In this case, a cow. And they eat grass and they drink water and they don't want to come inside. There are only two physical manifestations. Check this out. There's only two physical manifestations to boanthropy. What do you think they might be? Anybody? Venture guess. Audience participation. Your hair grows out really long like an eagle and your fingernails become thickened like a bird. I want to ask you a question. How in the world, before Google, how in the world did Daniel know that? I know that. I Googled it the moment I started studying this chapter. I Googled it weeks and weeks ago. Boanthropy. Okay, there you go. I got the information. But Daniel didn't have Google. How would he know this to be true unless God Almighty had revealed it to him? There's the question. How could he? It's rare. Not everybody's running around. How many people you see running around, you know, acting like cows? Don't answer the question. You know what I'm saying? Right? 
We don't know this. This is a very rare mental disorder. Somehow Daniel knew this 2,500 years ago before Google ever existed. The only way he knows it is because Daniel says, because there is a revealer of mysteries in heaven and his name is God Almighty. There's some background information. Now let's talk about this personal encounter. Sin is so powerful. We really truly desire it. How do we get it? How do we end up with this personal encounter? Number one, be grateful for your struggles. Be grateful for your struggles. See, number verse number four here of Daniel 4 says this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace. Notice this, contented and prosperous. Everything was just going well for me. He did not meet God when things were going well for him. He did not meet God when he was contented and prosperous. King David did not meet God when everything was fine. He sounds just like King David. King David said, everything's great for me. And King David was as far from God as he'd ever been. We're told in Amos 6.1, it says this, Woe to those who are at ease. I desire everything in my life to be easy. I pray, God, make my life easy. Right? I want that. I want to be healthy, wealthy, and secure. Oh, God, if you could just get me to this place where I could just relax because everything is just perfect and I don't need anything. I go to prayer meetings and I show up and say, you don't need to pray for a thing for me. I don't need nothing. I'm just great. I desire that. The chances of me meeting God, a personal encounter, life-altering experience with God in the midst of that situation is pretty much nil. Because as you read through the Bible, the people who have personal encounters with God, life-changing encounters with God, are going through a storm. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they meet God. What was happening in their life? They were going through a storm. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego encounter God again. What were they experiencing? A storm. The chief executioner came along and says, you know what? We're going to rip off both your arms and both your legs. That's a problem. This is not a good situation. This is what we call a storm. And they meet God in the storm. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they meet God. What's happening there? A storm again. We meet God. Now listen, all of us go through storms. You don't have to create your own storm. Some of us like to create our own storm sometimes, right? But, 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 but we all experience storms, and Jesus tells us that. You're going to have storms in life. Your storms can count for something, or they can just be a storm. Like they can improve your character, or you can become bitter or better. You know, all those things we say. I just want to add one other thing to it. You can have a personal encounter with God in the midst of your storm and find God in your storm, or you can just come through your storm and not have a life-changing experience because you have encountered God. But what I'm suggesting to you today is if you are in a storm, and some of you are in a storm right now, you have an opportunity because God shows up in a storm. If you'll say, God, I want to meet you. I need to experience you. I'm in a storm. I need you. I want to have a life-altering experience that the chances of God showing up in your storm are very great according to the Bible. Now, I want to show you a video clip from Forrest Gump. Who's seen the movie Forrest Gump before? Okay, so we got a lot of hands up, so that means we have a lot of knowledge of Forrest Gump. Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan is very bitter. He's very angry. He's very, very angry. And you'll see in this clip that he goes from being angry to going to being at peace. And what happens in the in-between of that whole thing? All right, let's roll the clip and let's check it out. Have you found Jesus yet, no? I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, so. <laughs> That's all these cripples down at the VA. That's all they ever talk about. Jesus this and Jesus that. <laughs> if I 
Found Jesus. They even had a priest come and talk to me. He said, God is listening, but I have to help myself. Now, if I accept Jesus into my heart, I'll get to walk beside him in the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear what I said? Walk. my sea legs. Well, you ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dane. Yes, I know that. You wrote me a letter, you idiot. Well, well, Captain Forrest Gump. I had to see this for myself. <laughs> and I told you if you were ever a shrimp boat captain that I'd be your first mate. Well, here I am. I am a man of my word. Okay. It's funny Lieutenant Dan said that, because right then, God showed up. He never actually said so, but I think he made his peace with God.
those of you who've seen the movie before, you know that uh, his life was never the same after that. The chances of us meeting God in a storm are very high. Now, storms can just be a simple storm, and we can go through it, or we can make our storms count, and we can say, God, in this storm that I am, I want to meet with you. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as that. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as Nebuchadnezzar. It could be you sitting at your kitchen table all by yourself, and you just sense God's presence in a mighty way, but you are forever changed from it. You are not the same person because you have encountered God there are many of us in this room that we're going through a storm right now. I just want to say to you, make it count. Make it count for something. If you're going through a storm, our prayer team, which prays right over here after the church service is over, they'd be happy to pray with you that you have a special and a very personal encounter with God. Thank God for the struggles. Second point is this in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Just don't stand there and bleed. Do something. Just don't stand there and bleed. Many of us are bleeding this morning. Just don't bleed. Do something about it. I get this phrase from a movie called uh, Tombstone, Wyatt Earp. Anybody ever seen that movie? Now, there's one with Kevin Costner in it. I'm sorry if you like Kevin Costner. I couldn't stand the movie. Watched five minutes of it. I had to turn it off. It's terrible. But I watched the one with Kurt Russell in it. I actually watched the whole thing. It wasn't a great movie. It was pretty good. So Wyatt blows into Tombstone, and he goes into the bar, and in the bar is the guy at the blackjack table, right? And the guy at the blackjack table is just yelling and screaming and intimidating everybody. So Wyatt's not intimidated by anybody. And so he walks over the table, and it only took about a minute for the two of them to kind of get tied up in a, in a conflict. And the guy stood up like he was going to do something, and so Wyatt just hauls off and just hammers him right in the mouth. And then he screams at the guy. He says, go ahead, pull your weapon, do something. And the guy stands there, and so he just rails him again. Wham! And he's bleeding. And he says, go ahead. Just don't stand there and bleed. Do something about it. It's a great scene. You should see the movie. Some of us are bleeding today. Nebuchadnezzar has a problem. He has this dream. He has no idea what the answer is, but he knows something important has just happened. And so you have to do something about it. So he calls in all the wise men. They couldn't give the answer. You've got to have the answer. It's important. They couldn't do anything. So he says, finally, Daniel rise. He presses through until he gets the answer, and Daniel shows up. Some of you say, you know what, John? I'd love to have a personal encounter with God. You know, I tried that a couple years ago. I spent a whole day trying to have it. Nothing happened. Or I spent a whole week, or I spent a whole month. Look, something that is important as a personal encounter with God, which people say who experience it, that it changes their life forever. It's a life-altering experience, which we see in Nebuchadnezzar and which we hear from other people. I hear it often. Something as important as that is worth a maximum amount of effort, not a minimum. Sometimes I give a maximum amount of effort to the things of this world, like money. I'll give a maximum amount of effort to that, but I'll give a minimum amount of effort things that are eternal and life-altering. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. Check out what he says. Six times he says the same phrase over and over and over again. Keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking reverently, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, and he who keeps on seeking finds, and him who keeps on knocking, the door is going to be opened to you. Something that is so critical, so important... Maybe you've tried before. Maybe you asked God before. Keep on asking. It's that much worth. It's worth that much. 
keep on keeping on. Nebuchadnezzar does not give up. All right, here's the third point. Hang out with God-filled people. This is so important to Nebuchadnezzar. He repeats the same phrase twice within two verses, verses 8 and 9. He says, finally, Daniel shows up. In him is the spirit of the gods. And then verse 9, he says, hey, Daniel, I'm so glad you're here. I know the spirit of gods are in you. This is the best way you could say it. God is in your life. One of the best things Nebuchadnezzar ever did is he had Daniel as a part of his inner circle. What kind of people are on your inner circle? If you want to have a personal encounter with God, what kind of people are on your inner circle? Do you have people... Not every single person, but do you have some people, one person, two people, whatever, that they are filled with God? What does that look like? It looks a lot like Daniel. Daniel was a man of humility. Total man of humility. He was a man of character. He was courageous. Do you have those kind of people? Daniel was a prayer warrior. Do you have those kind of people? In your life, is there one person, a part of your inner circle, that you would say is a God-filled person? I have talked to so many people throughout my ministry life, people who will say to me, at one point they had this personal encounter with God, and we get to kind of dissecting that situation a little bit, and it, it always comes to this question. So can you tell me why you think that took place in your life? And the answer is almost 100%. I think actually in my memory it is 100% accurate. They all say the exact same thing back to me. How'd that happen? I had a father and mother who prayed and prayed and prayed for me. John chapter 6, verse number 44. Check this out. Jesus says this. He says, look, it's not in your outline. No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. You have to be drawn. It's initiated by God. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar is praying for a personal encounter with God? I don't know. I'm guessing that he wasn't. But there's somebody who was, and that somebody is Daniel, a God-filled person who had a close relationship with Nebuchadnezzar and who is a prayer warrior. And we'll see in Daniel 6, even when, even when they said, if you pray to anybody, we're going to kill you, Daniel prays. So he doesn't give up on prayer. He's praying. And so when I talk to people and I say, how'd that happen to you? They say, I had somebody praying for me. You know the most popular response back how'd that happen i got a grandmother it's always the grandmother thank god for grandmothers many people tell me this I a grandmother that prayed for me now i want you all to help welcome big russ big russ sims right here ah, yes. makes me nervous when you do that because it just feeds him it just feeds him he loves it he loves it so uh, some of you know this and some of you don't. Big Ross, for many years of his life, was a total party animal. He was the guy at the parties with the lampshade on his head. He was the guy carrying on. He was the life of the party. He was a wild, wild, wild man. Is that correct, Russ? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and Russ was the life of the party, and he was happy, but he was also kind of miserable. And Russ had information about God. He knew about Christmas, didn't you, Russ? Yes. You knew about Easter. Russ had been to church before. But Russ had never had a personal encounter with God. And you know what also? Because I've known Russ like 40 years of my life. Uh, I, and I know specifically that Big Russ had told me one time that that could never happen for him. Russ had a mother-in-law. Thank God for mother-in-laws. If your mother-in-law is here today, lean over and give her a kiss. My mother was right here. Okay? Uh, Russ had a mother-in-law. They called her Perk. And Perk loved to pray. 
don't know why they called her Brooke. That's a really odd name. But uh, she prayed and prayed and prayed for him. And Russ had a daughter. Her name, her name is Krista, my wife. Prayed, prayed, prayed for him. And one day, here's it is, here it is, everybody. Fireworks didn't go off. Russ didn't become a cow, right? He didn't get knocked off his horse like Paul did. Russ went home. The home was empty. And he opened the door. I'd let Russ tell the story, but we'd be here for five hours because he would just go on. So I'm not giving him a mic. I thought it's enough that he could just stand here next to me. And he told me this. He said, I opened the door and God was standing there. Now, he visibly didn't see God, okay? I walked in and out of nowhere, there was God. And it changed his life. Big Russ has never been the same since. And you can ask him about it. He'd love to tell you about it. You know where to find him. He's out on that sidewalk. His life is that he had had bits and pieces of information about God, but his life did not drastically change until he had a personal encounter with Almighty God. After that experience, Russ said, I think I'm going to be the next Billy Graham. (laughs) Because he could not conceive of God meeting with him personally all day long around his kitchen table unless God had some phenomenal. He said, maybe I'm going to be the next pope. I said, I thought it would be helpful if he was Catholic to be the next pope, and he's not Catholic. But it was so transformative, so transformative, a personal encounter with God. Everybody give Big Russ a big hand. I'm done. (laughs) Russ will be happy to talk to you all about that. It is very, very life changing. Now, all right, let me, let me wrap this up because I know we're about done. You might say, okay, John, you know, I, I'm up on that. I'd like that in personal encounter with God. I'd like my life to be totally altered and changed. But you know, this whole cow thing, is there any way we could like forego the cow situation? Is there any way we could forego the seven years, you know, me out grazing on my front lawn? Could, could is some way that we could forego that? And yes, you can. There's the good news. Yes, you can. Here's the deal. Before Nebuchadnezzar was struck down and had this mental boanthropy disorder, before he had it, in verse number 27 of Daniel 4, Daniel says this to him. He says, look, renounce your sins. Nebuchadnezzar refuses to break before God. He refuses to renounce that. He refuses to humble his own heart before God. And he walks away. And for 12 months, we're told, For 12 months, nothing happens to him. And then 12 months into it, we're told that he's out on the roof of his palace. He's looking at all that he does. Look what I've done. It's incredible. And all of his pride. And then it says at that moment, while the words were still on his lips and all of his pride, the boanthropy hit. But he could have. He could have renounced his sin and avoided that whole situation. Our sins, according to Isaiah 59, 2, are the things that separate us from a personal encounter with God. I have to renounce my sins every day because I am a sinner and I just constantly am messing up. And I know that I am constantly in a need, humbling myself before God. I want to avoid pride and arrogance because it keeps me from this personal encounter from God that is so life-altering. All right, last point is this. Please write this down. Don't live in denial. Avoid living in denial. So seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar goes through this whole boanthropy situation of acting like a cow. He's humiliated, but God meets him in the midst of that storm. God meets him in his mental disorder. God meets King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember how I said in the beginning, they kept saying this, Daniel's God, it's Shadrach, Meshach's God. It's not my God, it's their God. 
Look what he says, Daniel 4, verse number 34. He says, at the end of this time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. When somebody writes that, particularly in the Old Testament of the Bible, when somebody says, I raised my eyes to heaven, just like Psalm 121 says, I lifted my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from God, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When somebody writes that they raise their eyes to heaven, they're saying, you know what? I'm breaking before God. I'm submitting myself. I recognize here and now my eyes raising to heaven. God is God and I am not. He is no longer Daniel's God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. He is now my God. I'm raising my eyes to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is what he is saying that he is doing. He doesn't deny it. He says, oh, this was just a crazy coincidence. Like Daniel said, I was going to act like a cow for seven years, and I did. But that was just, it's happened. It's happened. It's a coincidence that happened. He says, no. Here's what I know. All of us are alike. We all go through these battles in our minds. We're here this morning, and we're... Studying Nebuchadnezzar, and we're talking about his personal encounter with God, and we're thinking, oh, that's cool. I would really like to have that. Maybe you've longed for it for years. And you think, well, we talked about it today in church, but maybe it's just a coincidence that I happen to be here. It's other people who get to have the personal encounter with God. I'm never going to get to have that personal encounter with God. I'm never going to have that life-altering experience. It's other people. Some of you might sit here right now and say, you know what? It's weird. I kind of feel like God is in this gymnasium here. I feel like God is trying to draw me and saying, I want to have a personal encounter with you. And then you're going through a battle on the other side of your mind. It's like, no, it's just kind of an emotional experience maybe. Don't live in denial. It's no coincidence that you're here. It's no coincidence that for seven years Nebuchadnezzar went through this. I had something, I'll tell you one last story in conclusion. I had something happen to me uh, about a year ago. I began to pray for something. Uh, it, it was a small thing, but it's a really big thing. You know how that is? It's a small thing, but it was really, really big. I needed a miracle. My family, we needed a miracle. Small miracle, but it's a really big miracle to us. And we prayed for it for the whole year. And this past week, whammo, answered a prayer. And you know what the cool thing is? It wasn't answered kind of in a roundabout way. It was answered in a very exact and precise way. And so when the answer came in, my first reaction was, oh, man, I was very excited. This is great. This is great. And about an hour later, I noticed that in my mind, all of a sudden, these doubts started coming. I said, you know what? Maybe it's just a coincidence. Now, it was hard for me to rationalize the exact thing. That was hard for me to get around. But I started saying, maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe God really wasn't involved with that. Maybe it wasn't a personal thing between me and God. Maybe it wasn't. All of us are the same. God wants to have a personal encounter with you, and it's no coincidence that you're here this morning. And every single person in Scripture that had a personal encounter with God and every single person that I've ever met said a personal encounter with God, their life has never been the same. God wants to do that with you, and it's no coincidence you're here. So I want to encourage you, before we go, before we just jump up and we go out, since this something is, is so valuable, since a personal encounter with God is so life-altering, put a little effort to it. The band's going to come up. We're going to play one last song. I want to encourage you. Talk to God about this. If you're in a storm right now, say, God, I want to meet you in this storm. God, I want to meet you. I'm tired of hearing about you. You know, I want to experience a little bit what Russ experienced. I want to experience what Nebuchadnezzar experienced, minus the cow situation. I want to experience what the Apostle Paul experienced, how his life is totally transformed. I want to experience. I want to meet you. I'm tired of just hearing about you. I want to meet you personally. I want to encourage you. Just take a few moments and do that. So if the band could come up and, and, and they're going to play, we're going to sing a final song. I want to encourage you this too. Our prayer team is right over here. 
Right, we talked about the need for God-filled people in our lives. So the prayer team tells me there's not a single person on the team that's not God-filled. Now, that's what they said. Okay? They're all God-filled people. They'd love to pray for you. That you would meet God. That you would meet God. A personal, life-changing experience with God. Happens in big ways. Happens in small ways. Happens in all kinds of ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, that you, you have given us this story from the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Fascinating. It's extraordinarily unique in Scripture, but, God, you felt like we needed to know about it. And I feel like you, you told us about it because, God, you're saying to all of us, it's in your heart. You want to have a personal encounter, and it can happen. Lord, whatever we need to do, help us just to take a moment, take a moment, and put some serious thought and energy and prayer and conversation with you about it, God. What do we need to do to encounter you today? Christ's name. Amen.